Welcome to Capoeira in Canada. This is a podcast about Capoeira in Canada. It's quite simple. First series here is to talk to all those who, all those capoeiristas who are running academies across Canada. And today we have with us Professor Sassi, Grupo Capoeira Camara. Welcome, Sassi. Thank you so much for uh, accepting my invitation and taking your time to uh, to tell us a, a lot about yourself, basically. So. Gladly, uh, my friend. This is uh, this is very exciting because it's um, you know it's interesting. This project came out of um, a couple of little catalysts on my end. I had another friend of mine who we've been talking about starting a podcast for a very long time, and <clears throat> we were you know we started recording some stuff, and it was basically on the the premise that you know we had some really great conversations that turned into really deep conversations, you know, after some ramblings about various topics. And we decided, you know, we should record this and create a podcast. But then I started thinking some more about a few other scenarios that have happened in the past. Uh, one in particular was one of my one of my latest students last year who uh, was when he discovered that Capital was here in Brampton, he was um, he was very excited. He's like, I didn't know there was any Capital outside of Toronto. So my goal here is to have these interviews and talk to the teachers they can tell their story and we can get more information out there so people can discover about capoeira more about what's available to them and they can you know take a moment and listen to you and who you are and and hopefully um you know people will come and hopefully this will inspire more people to to come to the academies and let's you know raise more awareness and of the availability of capoeira across canada so I want to start with the history of Professor Sassi. When did you get started in Capital? Where and how? How old were you? Tell us. Tell us your story. <laughs> all right. Cool. Well, first of all, again, thanks again, Pay, for uh, having me here. Uh, it's an honor. Um, I think what you're trying to do is a, is an amazing thing. Um, it's uh, it's genuinely uh, philanthropic. I think it's uh, it's nice to see that people are looking out for Capital as a whole as opposed to just, you know, local squads. So that's amazing. So again, um, on behalf of anybody who's watching this, I'm sure on behalf of all the leaders um, around the world um, that do Capoeira, thank you and people like you who are actually uh, really trying to get the word out in a genuine nature. Um, so for myself, um, long stories with, with martial arts. So I guess myself, um, I've been doing martial arts since I was 16. Um, I had cross-trained in, uh, in Aikido um, when I was in high school and, and also wrestled. And then once I was in university, I was trying to find a continuation of Aikido. Uh, unfortunately, um, I, I, went to, uh, I went to UWO and unfortunately it didn't have any Aikido, but they did have this thing called Hapkido, which I had no clue what the hell it was. Mm -hmm. Sounded cool. Decided to try it. They had black keys. It, it had Aikido in its name and black keys, yeah. Oh, Aikido, black keys, I'm in. No problem. I'm, I, I got you. No clue what the hell Aikido is. Then I walk in and I realize what it actually is and the concept of being a nice cr a cross between Taekwondo and Aikido and the movements. And I just fell in love um, with it. And so I single-tasked that martial art for uh, for a number of years um, where after, uh, after X amount of years, I was able to actually receive my black belt while I was in university, which is great. Um, now during university, um, I also, uh, almost all my friends, I, you know, I hung out with a group of Caribbean folks and uh, people who are, who are Canadian. And I don't know why after a year of knowing everybody, we started to realize that we were all martial artists in our own right. Some people did, um, 
Wing Chun. Some people did uh, Kampo Karate and some people did Muay Thai. So we all started really realizing that our bond really was a bond of martial artists. So we would spend weekends after weekend grabbing VHS tapes. And yes, I'm dating myself. VHS <laughs> tapes from wherever we could find, uh, put them in the VCR, play them, eat, laugh, start, you know, kicking each other's asses because you see really cool moves. Um, <laughs> and then also helping each other to cross train, right? So um, eventually each one of us would also cross train back and forth with the martial arts. So during university, I'd also cross train in, in, uh, in uh, Kempo Karate. I actually did that for uh, two or three years. Um, Muay Thai did that for two or three years. And this is all during the, the time of, of, uh, of being in university. So it was a, a great martial art experience that I had um, during those years I was there. Now, one of the tapes that we saw that we watched while we we're you know in university was this really cool tape of these people, you know, a lot of these guys, shirts off, kicking and flipping to music, and oh, it was so neat. So of course we start trying to break our necks, kicking and <laughs> flipping like them. No clue what the hell it is, but it was really cool to see. Well, fast forward, university's over. I'm back in Toronto. I was living in Mississauga at the time, and um, I'm trying to find something. Hapkido, I've already got the black belt, but I've got nowhere to train. My uh, master saying Kim, my master in, uh, in in London, Ontario, is in London, so I, I don't know really where to train in Toronto. There's no local academies. Um, so I dropped martial arts in its entirety, looking around for something. Um, as I go to uh, this one gym, I see someone moving around in a very familiar manner, and I start talking to him. And uh, he says, hey, you know what? I am. Uh, I just started a Capoeira Academy, Capoeira School, just down the street. <laughs> okay, I'm in, no problem. It looks cool. I don't realize necessarily that's the same tape I watched at that time, but hey, I go and I join it. Me and a couple of our friends from university and a couple of friends that I had here, we all join up and therefore we start. And that's around 1998. Um, so we end up training there for a little while. Um, and uh, after a couple of years of training there, um, and uh, he was actually a student from Asha Capoeira, he brought down um, Monsieur Bahan from Asha Capoeira, Monsieur Asha Capoeira, and his students to do a workshop. Well, when Monsieur came down and uh, saw how many students he had, he saw that it was a great opportunity for for us, for that group to develop a structured, firm group. Um, the person who was teaching me was, at the time, only a second called up. So he brought down, he said, you know what? Obviously, Toronto's a big city. There's not a lot of couple in the city at this point. I'm going to send you my best student. And at that point, he brought down, at the time, who was a professor, Professor Bola, who is now my Mestre Mestre Bola. And so he sent him down to Toronto. Um, and uh, after around four to six months of, uh, of uh, Bola being in the city, he started he started his first class, and I was in his first class with a couple of my uh, my fellow veterans that have been around now for the last <laughs> 20 years. Um, so for myself, I've been doing martial I've been doing Capoeira for the last 22 years at this point, I guess 22, 23 years, um, and still going, still going strong. Awesome. So that's basically my how I saw how I walked into Capoeira. I literally fell into it without knowing it. And a funny story, going back, that video that we were watching in university was a video of Mestreola and Asha Capoeira. <laughs> we ended up seeing that video like literally 10 years later, and I was going, oh, my, my mind was blown. I did not know that 
Yeah, Messi had actually planted a seed of <laughs> me to join that group at that point. It happened to be the same person. I saw this big guy doing these flips. I said, oh, this is going to be awesome. I want to see if I can do it like him one day. And now he's actually my Messi, which is, again, very odd just how things work out. Cool. Cool. Right on. Right on. Um, tell us about the history of, of Grupo Capoeira Camara and when did it get started? Because you had mentioned you'd started with with uh, uh, Grupo Ache and now it's you're known under the, the, the banner of Capoeira Camara. How, do, how did that come to be, you know, and uh, hmm. the story of it? Okay. So, um, as I mentioned uh, previously, um, Mestre Bola had started under Ashley Capoeira. He was the, his top student. He was the Mestre, Mestre Bajal's top student. Um, and he, at the time, while he was in Toronto, he was really starting to be on his, come, on, come on to his own. And I think that's something that happens to a lot of Capoeiras when the professor, Contra Mestre, at the time, he was moved to Contra Mestre. And uh, they start to realize the, their fundamental systems. And very similar to... You know, I, I you know I love my mother. I you know I, when I was under her roof, there are certain things and that I learned from her in terms of how to apply to my life and to my home. Hits a point where I'm at a certain age where I realize, you know what? I'd also like to see if I can now grow onto my own using that the base of what I've learned in that home with my mom, and then now into my home. And then you move out, and that's really and truly organically how it happened with Mestre Bola. Um, he, as a continuity, he was able to understand that he'd like to start his own system that has a fundamental core of where Ashe came from, but now being able to add and adapt and be a little more fluid with the things that he's learned in, at the time, almost 15, 20 years of capoeira that he had under, under, his, under his belt. Um, so he decided to start up on his, on his own, and uh, half of us went with him, the other half stayed with Ashe Capoeira, Still had a great bond with uh, our teammates that were in in Toronto at the time, and uh, then it started. So it, it started with us having no name, and one of the things I remember sitting on on many different phone calls with uh, with Mestre <laughs> Bola, and we were you know with Stephen Veterans, we we're trying to figure out a name, and you know sometimes we'd sit there and try to figure things out. What does this mean? What does this mean? But one of the things we we realized in the city is that around the world, Capoeira is you know was a little fragmented at the time, not a little, quite a bit. Um, whereas groups were really about trying to um, to show which group is stronger than the other. Whereas mm -hmm. I go back to those kung fu flicks I used to watch back in the day. <laughs> I know my school's better than your school than the school's fight. Well, we realized at, at some you, point. At you and I can day, joke about this because in 2003, <laughs> when I got started, like that that era, like 2003 to 2009, I think was oh, yeah. is that period, right? Or well, maybe not all the way to 2009 because things shifted in between there. But probably till about 2006. And I remember, yeah, we would yep. come to holidays, and yeah, I'd see you, and we'd see each other at the different, sh you know, academy shirts on, and we'd be like, hmm. you know, there'd be that. Oh yeah, hmm. I'm like, he's hmm. a big guy. Let's go. <laughs> you know, that's how it was. Right? Um, you know, and that's and but and the thing was, well, is that's how we were. A lot of people were trained that way. It was, you know, you have to train to make sure you're the toughest couplista. And I think we'll be talking about it later on. But the definition, at least to myself, and I think to a lot of my peers, have really has really changed in terms of what couplista should be about. But when we were trying to figure out the name of our group, we realized, let's be the antithesis of what we're seeing. If we wear it on our shirts, we have to represent it. So we realized, Kamara, be comrades. Well, I'm not, not trying to be everyone's friend. We're not trying to be everyone's buddy. We're, you know, we're not trying to do anything. We're, not, you know, we're just trying to understand we're all comrades in the same art. 
doesn't matter what logo you wear, that's your system. What logo I wear is my system. We can go there, we can have great games, they can have games even, mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, we shake hands, we go for a beer because we're comrades. And that's really where it came about. Uh, we were trying to figure out different names, and then at some point, Messi just said, guys, Kamara. And then we just started talking about it, and it just sat well. And then we started realizing, again, that seed's been planted for so long. In every Ladaia, it starts with talking about Kamara, right? It right. Just, it's in every, almost every song out there for a reason, because that seems to be a, a fundamental part of what a lot of these songs are really trying to promote. So um, that's really how the name came about and how the group started and eventually the logo uh you'll see that on the arm we've got the person doing the martello hodado martello cruzado in fact and uh that's actually uh, professor curioso so we took some screen shots of him actually doing the kick nice uh, then added some extra muscle to him i'll let you guys sort that out later logo, but he always says <laughs> Oh, yeah. Don't worry. He knows he's on all of our arms, all of our shirts, all of our backs. So he uh, he gets that credit. So, no, that was really cool. So it's the, the group. It's really neat to actually be part of a group where we know not as students, we also are represented in the art. And there's something that's just magical about being part of the beginning of a system and then being part of the evolution of a couple way system. And that's what I think is really cool. Nice, nice. Cool. Uh, now, you didn't, I should say, I don't know if this question really is, it quite applies, but we'll go with it anyways. Like, sure. why did you start teaching? Let's go from there. What, what, what drew uh, you to teaching? Because not everyone takes that choice, despite, you know, we know like uh, many capoeiristas, some capoeiristas, well, not many, but some capoeiristas, even though as they evolve and as they grow and as they're awarded higher chords and if they read, you know, if they're awarded a, a chord with title like instructor or higher or whatever, you know, and down the road, not all of them uh, usually take on uh, running an academy uh, or and, and even always not not all of them take on the role or take on uh, teaching uh, on a regular basis. And this is something you've done um you know since uh since i've known you you and, uh, and as you grew you've um you've been a staple or cornerstone of, of grupo camera and uh, at some point um for those who know um Messe Bulla is not permanently in toronto anymore he hasn't been here for for some time now right um and it's it's the the group's kind of been in your hands so tell us a bit about that what uh how come you know what was the uh, what was the choice, or did you have a choice? <laughs> <laughs> that second part's a good question too, because some people don't, right? Um, no, but I guess as you mentioned, uh, Messi hasn't been in this has been a permanent resident of Toronto for a number of years now. Kamada um, has been around now um, for fifteen plus years. Um, again, Messi has been uh, I've been training under him for the last twenty one, and, and um, five years in to us being uh, informing the group of Capoeira Camara. Um, within those first five years, when Mestri started on his own, we were in Toronto. With a, a group of his students, were Toronto students. Um, and Mestri was very, very straight up about the concept that he, he, the, he wants to be around people he can trust. He wants to be around people that understand him and that want to train with him, um, understand his system, um, and just, you know, in essence, we can train today, go for a go and check out a movie tomorrow. 
So what happened, though, was that there were a number of different people, different uh, low-level, high-level kapolises from around the world who actually said, Mesfi, we want to join you. We want to train under your system. He said, no, 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 no. It's nice. I'm glad. Thank you. Humble. But uh, hold the fort for now. Well, after receiving so many requests, he realized that, you know what, if people want to, how do we do it? You know, and again, it's part of the organic nature of growing into a group. So uh, what occurred was that he basically said, you know what, um, I got to get to know you first. Very similar to what we're mentioning is he, he, you know, between myself, Professor Kuriozu, some of the other, the other veterans that were in, this, in the city, um, he knew us very well. And it, there's a comfort level to being open and training with that. I would believe with martial arts, you know, you, you know, the analogy of we all take our shirts off and train. Um, we all go down and wear all whites. It's not hiding much, and it's it's the same concept, right? Those you train with, you really need to be able to trust. Um, so just bringing somebody into a into a system, you have to make sure you understand. They understand you. You understand them. Expectations are there. So over the course of five years, um, Messi would start to travel here and there, start to give people the opportunity to get to know him, mm-hmm. his style. It gave him up some time to get to know them as well. Um, over those five years we started to grow. So he started to accept students from around the world as Kamara. So we'd go to, you know, people in Russia. We had uh, one of my peers, one of the people that I started up with, uh, Professor Mil Kilo, he was already in Bermuda. So he was already, mm-hmm. he he came over to Kamara as well. Um, we had <clears> people, you know, eventually, Professor Kuriozo moved to Ireland. We had people around the planet that eventually said, hey, you know what? We want to join Kamara and Messi had to start to travel there. Well, when he would travel, we would take on the class and teach. So um, many times I'd be the one that was in, in still in class. Um, class was starting to actually atrophy at the time. And so it was a little difficult to actually keep the class going because we were really trying to keep that momentum there. Um, we eventually got our own academy by Lansdowne and Bloor. Um, that really did help to have a central location. Um, but at the same time, that's when he was growing. So I ended up teaching quite a few of the classes when he was away. Um, just by an organic nature, I'm there. I was on top students. I would teach a class. Um, fast forward a number of years. Next thing you know, we have upwards of 17, 18 groups around the planet. Amazing. And I call Messi Bola the reluctant leader. <laughs> it's not the fact that he didn't want to be a leader. It's not. It's more the fact that we had no desire to grow the group. We were very comfortable. I know Messi was very comfortable with having just a group in Toronto. Yeah. Um, we had people like Messi Sabaya, Sabaya. We had people like Messi uh, Tabara. We had met people like Messi Preguisa, who were helping to mentor us into forming our own. Now having to bring on other capoeiristas, what are we bringing them into? We have to bring them into a system. What's our system? We're still trying to figure that all out. Mm. Um, so it was, all, it was very difficult at the time to, I know, for, for Messi to juggle that. And then while we're trying to also determine our system here in Toronto at the same time. Um, well, now fast forward a number of years. Um, he's now on the road all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because he, he, we, just, we have too many groups. In order to ensure that the system of Capoeira Camara is being taught properly, he has to physically be there to teach. He's he has to go and do a workshop here, Batizado there. Check his in on everybody, right? His became an international job. Check in on everybody. So his so part of what I want to make sure he knew is that you can check in on everybody else. When you're back home, you're back home. And I'll keep this going while you're while you're gone. And it was more, it wasn't done in a, this is now your class. It was done as, 
I will keep it running as much as I can right. with the peers and with our teammates that we have here. Um, but then when we realized it was going to be a permanent situation, um, where our group was not getting smaller, it was actually getting larger. <laughs> and again, it's based on the on the amazing work of Messi Bola. He's a you know he, he, the way he teaches and his style and the system. There's just it was very easy for him to really not only say get caught up, but it became a regular national job mm. i always say now his fixed address is air canada you know he's just he's always in the air poor guy and i don't even understand how he deals with the jet lag but whatever um but uh when we realized that then there was a, an informal handoff to you know what i said at the end of the day let me handle this when you come back to the city feel free to teach but let me handle this but at that point this is me taking on his students and there is a different mentality when you are taking on someone else's students versus when you when a student starts with you so to go to the example of why i started my class informally there was a period of almost 10 years where i was informally um, the teacher of the class in the city so five years while well, we turned to Kapua Kamara, mm -hmm. Mesri was still in the city right. five years where if we would leave for a workshop here and there i would help to teach Five years were in almost was a full-time thing where I was 90% of the time, I was in the city, I was teaching the class, but again, not my students, I'm teaching on behalf of Mesribola. Then the last five years, for the last five years I realized, I want to now feel what that mentality is like to actually have a student start with me as their, as their teacher. As they said, you know, there's one thing about being the, the uncle and <laughs> babysitting. There's yep. another thing about being, actually having your own kids being mom or dad yeah so i need to exactly so i need to experience that and keep in mind this is that messi did such an awesome job at incepting the idea in my head and the way he did it was he never pressured me to have a class ever he never said i had to teach the class he never said i had to keep doing the class it's just there do what you want if you want to do it great if you don't it's fine. If you're comfortable, but take, on the, take on the responsibility, basically, right? Correct. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And in reality, what the lesson was, was if you want to learn more, take on the responsibility. If you want to limit yourself, don't. It's okay. And that actually, I realized after that that was really the lesson, right? Yeah, Is yeah. falling into it and realizing that there was a desire and a need from my own self to feel what it's like to be a parent in the art to have my own students and then go from there. So that's really when I started to try to teach in your location, up in Brampton. Right. And then I eventually I moved, I moved to the class in Toronto, started up in there, and that really ended up becoming fairly successful. And then we grew from there. And then over the last five years, it's it was there was now an official handoff. So Messi Bola literally said, now who the people who used to be my students, they are now your students. The people who are now your students stay your students amalgamate the two and let's go and in that case in the last five years we've had tremendous success um however we define it but we've had tremendous success in terms of a, a class down here nice nice cool <clears throat> excuse me um now let's dig into some perhaps some little more uh subjective uh subjective stuff so this is interesting we were talking this before we got rolling with the cameras and cameras <laughs> before we got rolling with things but <laughs> so um this question can be can be 
twisted and contorted however you want to. But basically, the, my initial thought was like, with your time and your experience and your exposure to Capoeira and the, we'll call it, uh, well, I, I Capoeira culture, because it is it is different. Um, you know, has in your mind, do you feel that there over the years that uh, there's been an influence of Canadian culture on Capoeira? And if so, how? Or, hmm. or can we um, flip that question around and go from the other way around is another way to look at it as well. So what do you think? Uh, we have, <laughs> honestly, great question. And we have both. It's, uh, it, it circles me back to uh, a, uh, a workshop uh, we did in, uh, in Bahia with uh, Messi Sabia years ago. And I remember him, you know, it was the first time I was a monitor at the time and I'd, uh, I went down to Brazil. I am scared out of my mind because it's one of the first times I've ever been to Brazil. I'm a slightly higher quota. I am at the time 220 pounds. I know that <laughs> I've heard these rumors that Burr is going to come after me. I'm scared. And so I'm going there and it was just an awesome experience. And I remember doing the workshop with Mr. and he sits us down and he says a couple of things. And we asked him a very similar question. How do you feel in terms of now, here we are, Canadians coming down to Brazil doing capoeira? And he said, you know what? He's like, it's it's a pretty awesome thing. He's like, two things have happened. One, um, a lot of mestres, a lot of capoeiristas, period, in Brazil, were realizing they weren't really being taken seriously in Brazil. It became one of those things where everyone does capoeira. You go to Rio de Janeiro, people are doing capoeira on the streets, and not, no one is really taking it as seriously as they could. So the ones that really wanted Capoeira to grow realized you can't grow in the same pot. To grow, you have to leave. You have to get to a bigger pot, which is the world. And so there's a lot of Capoeiras who have left Brazil, not because they don't like Brazil, but because they love it so much, they want to plant that seed around the planet. And then he's like, but at the same time, the opposite's happened. People from other places on the planet have come to Brazil and planted their seeds. And now you've got this really beautiful forest of a mix of the two cultures. And what both cultures and why it's thriving now are two things. Move out of Brazil. Move out of, you know, my background is Canadian-Jamaican, so move out of Jamaica. And a lot of those areas have culture. And I say culture, but they have rhythm and art and it's, it's art and culture is really pushed as the forefront of life. You have to have some feeling. You have to listen to some music. You have to feel this and you have to move. Well, then the concept of capoeira growing in Brazil makes a lot of sense because it's the jinga, the movement, the music. It, it in a mix of so many different cultures and feelings and history and this and that. So, of course, Capoeiras, you see a lot of Brazilians, they start it and they get it and they can jinga and they can move. Amazing. So that's what Brazilians have planted around the world, this concept of really cherishing art. Where sometimes in North America, if you see someone, and I'll use, you know, nothing against skateboard, because I used to skateboard when I was a kid. <laughs> um, but if you see someone who is... 40 years old, skateboarding. The first thing that people say is, oh my God, do they have a job? Yeah, or what's well, he doing, right? Well, who's to say that that's not, or what's he doing with his life? Yeah. Who's to say that that art isn't, my sister, is a professional dancer. And she spent her entire life trying to prove to the world 
why dance is no different of a career. My degree is in applied mathematics. I sit at the computer all day. That is revered in North America as a career, whereas a dancer is, ah, you know, that's cute, you're a dancer. Mm -hmm. Well, she has made, has had amazing success as a dancer. It is a career no different than counting. But what is happening now is that whereas the North Americans and people outside of Brazil have now learned to value art, in Brazil, in capoeira, people outside of North America have now instilled structure. So Mr. Chabia said this, he's like, it's great. He's like, if I have a, a lineup of my Brazilian students, I can tell them, cool, all right, guys, go up there, do flips, do this, that, they're doing amazing fuladeus. If I say stand in line, I want you to make five lines <laughs> and I need you to be here on time. Uh, <laughs> they have a hard time doing it. What is a structure thing? No, we should right. be free like birds. We yeah. have to move. We, uh, <laughs> what do you mean? What do you mean you have to be on time? Put what me on a line or make consistent? me get into a what grid. You... Yeah, yeah. Thank you. So... <laughs> One of those things, if you rewind back to Messi, even Messi de Bimbo, one of the, he was very big on trying to instill structures. The reason why he wrote it down and he had forms, <clears> he had belts, he had this. He, had, right. were, he was trying to instill something because his students who had traveled the world realized that those places, they're successful because they have structure. So that those students brought structure back to Messi de Bimba. And he instilled, tried his best to instill structure yep. in the Brazilian culture. So what has happened now, fast forward to 2021, is Cupwits become this thing where we embrace the art, but now Brazilians are embracing the structure that we have now helped to bring. Right, right. And it's it's um, going back to a, another conversation I had with uh, Professor Helio now. Now the challenge is, I think, for uh, for a lot of capital uses, is recognizing uh, when it's time for structure and when it's time to be free like a bird when you're at class, right? There, exactly. You know, and that's that's a big challenge uh, for a lot of people, I think, because um, you know he made an interesting point about a you know a, an analogy to a situation he ran into with one of his students, and it was the student kept coming, you know, showing up late and whatever, and then he was like, hey, well, you know, why aren't you showing up on time? And he's like, well. You know, it's kind of like, you know, it's my, it's my malandrage, right? You know, I just show up when I show up, right? And he's like, <laughs> but again, not recognizing when structure is is required and when malandrage is required in certain situations, right? right. And, on, and going deeper into that about recognizing what really malandrage is all about, which is a completely different story. So, um, but yeah, it's, um, it, 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 it's a very good point you make. And I think it's, uh, you know about how we've seen that evolution and i think it's i think it's good you know and i remember when i first started listening to a lot of recordings of mestres um like uh, mes Equation. we had some dvds of his from the, the early 2000s and that and he was sitting around a table with a few others and they were talking about how capoeira has evolved since they started and it and based on what yours what you talk about and what others have said like that that evolution continues that evolution continues as long as as long as we are very careful not to wash away the roots and wash away that connection to, you know, those um, those deep roots that it has. Right. So That's it. I mean, and you mentioned that that's that's I've heard that in the past as well, is that that's obviously a fear, the concept of now diluting right. the purity of what came from Brazil. Yeah. Right. You it's it's a very difficult thing because can you have structure? and artistic freedom 
in the same nature, even though it's, if you really look at it, capoeira is a lot of structure. It's such, you know, we, we control mm -hmm. our bodies, we have a hada, we have a bataria, like it comes already, actually naturally, from an, an African structure. Yep. That, you know, from Candombe, which is extremely structured. And that structure is already inherent within the art, which is why I think that all we've done as North Americans and I'll say Europeans and people who are non-Brazilian is fertilized the current existing structure within there. Really hold on to that as something that is familiar to us as we embrace the unfamiliar nature of just being artistic, right? Being free and just singing and not thinking and playing in a hobby and, you know, humility, all that stuff that comes along with it, right? right. But Cool. Now, for someone who's been running an academy for a while, um, and you've you've dealt with, I'm sure, certain a lot of challenges, like you said, you know, uh, at one point in time, the academy became very, um, uh, I don't want to say anorexic, but it it, it shrunk. There, you know, and I think a yep. lot of academies um, went through a period of that, you know. And with respect to rebuilding or building an academy, what kind of advice would you give to somebody who is in a position where they've they've earned themselves the or reached a level where they're they're feeling comfortable enough to start their own academy in another place what would you tell them um it's not easy um keep that in mind i mean that's you know if they're i have my full-time job and this is so much harder it really is um but keep in mind that people want to start an academy um don't realize that it's i don't it's not that you want to start to teach you have to embrace the fact that you now want to start a business. Mm. You know, if, if you look at it separately, you can have all of the talent in the world. I've known capoeiras that have more talent in their, in, you know, in one of their fingers than I have had in my 20, 21 years of training the art. But for all the talent that they're worth, they can't seem to keep an academy or a class going. And so it takes more than just talent. But I've also known people who are, extremely structured. They're there, they're on time, they pay their bills, they pay their taxes. But then their class atrophies as well. And back again to the combination of the two. One of the most difficult things is one, as a teacher, you have to realize and be willing to learn from teaching. If your only job or anything you want to do as a teacher or as an upcoming teacher is to show that you can teach, you've already failed. Because the teaching part of it, students can see this. If you're not teaching for the purpose of learning, then you also don't grow. Because you're just you've, you're you're at your limit. You're at your you at your knowledge base, and you, if your goal is just to just disseminate all that knowledge down, that knowledge base isn't increasing. Right. The you... students can see that there's no growth <clears throat> as a teacher, right? And they become they feel stale. I've known people who have taught classes, watched them atrophy. They go, why? I don't get it. I'm on time and I teach them every day. Yep. I try to teach them new things and I go, well, but are you teaching yourself new things? Have you traveled to workshops? Have you tested your art? Have you tried to bring new things into you to up your level, up your pot of knowledge or desire even so you have now new things to disseminate down? Yeah, for sure. Right? Yep. It's so important. So that's number one. The number two, then on the other side, it's a business, right? Structure it. Make sure it's there. Do not miss class. Be on time, and be on time for class as a teacher isn't the same be on time as a student. Mm -hmm. Be on class as a teacher is five, 10, 15 minutes early. 
Yeah. And I say early because that word doesn't apply to a teacher. You're there setting up, getting warm, getting ready. If you walk in class and your students are there, it's amazing. Like I, one thing I, you know, again, another, I'll talk about different things with Messi Bola and why I've trained with him for so many years. But I, my gosh, how many times I come to class, I would go to class and he's already there. He's already sweating, right? He's already been getting himself ready. He's on time. He's early. And now I'm walking into his room. It's like walking. I, I use the analogy of a, of a club in Toronto. Nothing's worse than waiting outside in a line in, Toronto, in a club in Toronto, <laughs> going inside and realizing the DJ's not even there. Right. You're going, oh, why did I wait in this damn line in the first place? Especially in right? February. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. For those who are not in, in cold places, screw you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but, in, yeah, but, it's, but it's true, right? It, it, there's a lot of caprices who just absolutely, you know, they just don't show up to the class. So they show up a little late or, or they teach on the fly. Students can tell if you just thought of that class today, thought of that class 10, 10 minutes before. If they see that there's structure, structure in terms of being on time, structure in terms of understanding how the payment system works, understanding there's a schedule, understanding that there should be events, understanding you have to give them something to work towards, and then even a structure no different than our North American schools, right? I go back again to Messi Bimba. It's not a novel new thing. Messi Bimba had lessons that he taught, depending on what level you were. Right. You knew what's coming next. Yeah. You knew if you missed something, you missed something. If I missed a university class, I knew I missed a class that could help me move forward. That feeling of the fear of missing out also drives students to come to class. Yep. Right? It drives sure. them to For not sure. want to miss the next thing. Not just, I want to learn something new, but I don't want to miss something that could be crucial to the next lesson next week. Right. I mean, they're right? building so blocks, that's right? We got to learn, we got to learn how to, you know, one plus one, and then we can get our multiplications and, or that's you it. Know, yeah, exactly. there's, there's building blocks and whoever's teaching, you know, whoever's choosing to teach needs to, needs to like you, you made a good, you know, a good point about having lessons plans, putting some thought about what you want your students to learn, not just today, but over the next two, three weeks. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and then being able to build on that so that you can help them grow, you know, show them how to grow, really, because ultimately them growing is, is at the end of the day, it's all on them. Right. It's on it's on their effort and their, you know, when they you know, are they doing their homework? Are they practicing on their own or whatever? But, yeah, when it comes down to running an academy, there's there's more to it than just standing up in front of people and showing them, the you know, how to Jenga. Right. Yeah, exactly. Way and. <laughs> And you have to take you have to take their learning under your responsibility. Um, let's remember, rewind three years. Um, Messily, you know, we'd both be sitting there wondering why there's still some students that can't play the bow or can't hold a rhythm on the upper back. We'd say, you know, go home, practice. Come on, mm -hmm. just practice. Well, we all did practice. Then we realized, okay, wait a second, <laughs> hold <laughs> on. Why don't we make sure that that is within our class? Yep. Why don't we also take responsibility of their learning and make sure we're giving them the tools in class so we started to have formal music for sure. classes for sure. at a structured regular time. And I found that really helped. In fact, it made there's some students that wouldn't show up for the week, for the month, and but they'd show up for the monthly music class. <laughs> and it became that we realized that's what their drive is in the art because there's so many different facets, right? If we yep. talk about the music, the history, the language, the movement, you know, the 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 camaraderie. Not everyone's going to be great at the same thing, or not everyone's going to be driven to train by the same thing. So you have to find those things within the academy that is all there, 
for them to want to do it. So back again to your question so we don't lose focus. <laughs> in terms of what people need, what I would recommend for anyone who wants to teach a class, again, make a plan to grow yourself. Do it for the right reasons because you want to grow yourself and then make a plan for your upcoming students. And if you're not ready for that, don't do it. You really shouldn't because it's a very, very difficult to do thing to do up and down. You have one class where you have one student, you have another class where you have a mix of five different different belt levels. It, it, there's its own inherent challenges, right? Yep. Um, so you need to be prepared to actually take all those on and not walk away. Yeah, for sure. Good advice. Absolutely. Um, let's, why don't you tell us about one of your most memorable or proudest moments at your academy? What, where is there, is, has there been, and I'm sure there's many, I mean, we all have moments, <laughs> right? But is there any one that you always kind of come back to that was like, you know, this was like, it was a huge thing or something that was just super memorable or like left you with, with, you know, at a beer for days, you know, left you with those goosebumps of like, man, I was just, I was so like, so enamored by that moment. Uh, yeah, easy. Um, <laughs> so two years ago, um, we were having our batizado and, uh, I had, I was going to leave it a surprise to my students, but I decided to give them a heads up. So I, you know, they wouldn't crap their pants. Um, I let them know that there's one of the workshops or one of the hathas um has to be led by all the students that are i remember this yeah oh yeah exactly. that was you're part of that hother too right so uh yeah no actually no, no it wasn't it was it was it no, was it, I, I wasn't allowed out. yeah you kicked us yeah. out it, it was yep. so my thing right my whole big thing is empowerment right i like to know like if i'm trying to teach my students how to eventually become as good as me and and way excel me I've got to empower them that they have that ability. So I told them, I'm like, guys, this one hour hada is only going to be led by you and sung by you and sung by your peers at exactly the same level. No one higher than fifth called up for a reason, because that stage of having to hold a hada for an hour during a massive batizado where Mesri Bola's there, other Mesri's from around the world are there, <laughs> other students, from, oh my God, they have never practiced so hard <laughs> in their lives. So you were very, you were very generous in giving them a heads up on that. You're, that was... Oh yeah, I was I had to be nice. I realized if I didn't, uh, I think they would have literally crapped their pants right off, right off the bat. Um, but then here's the best part. I didn't give Mesri Bola the heads up on purpose. He knew that there was like a break and it was actually the break for the teachers to go and have lunch and break and do their thing between the workshops. Yeah. So he sees as the, as the, as we're all going on break after last workshop, aha, this setting up and, uh, so Mesri's kind of sitting there walking around looking and he's like, so is there about to be a harvest? Essay? I'm like, yeah, yeah. He's like, it's cool. You want to go and grab him to eat? He's like, no, no, wait, 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 wait. Just, I, I just, what is this? And I'm like, so I tell him, I'm like, it's a hada for only fifth call down down. He's like, oh, 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 okay. Um, um, so, so as they're setting up and as they're getting going, I see Messi Bola pacing behind mm -hmm. the hada. I'm like, Messi, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. He's like, but, but, but to see, and I'm like, let's go. Like, we have to let them do this. 
<laughs> it was the, it was the funniest thing. So I see him reluctantly. I mean, like literally kicking and screaming. He I he fi- I finally get him out of, outside of the room. That was that was an awesome we moment tr- for sure. That was oh, it was hilarious. And then we so but here's the best part. We turn the corner, and we hear the harvest start, mm. and it starts beautifully. And of course, the little you know, I see I see Messi kind of look back because <laughs> you know he's a, he's a perfectionist with the music. Yeah, and then he stops. And then you could tell everyone kind of got into the rhythm because we're now at the room. The nervousness is down. Yeah. And they start singing and people start clapping. And I hear the ashe just build. Even right now I'm saying it, I'm getting goosebumps. <laughs> and I saw and then Messi turn. And the moment was that look he gave me of, oh, we realized they have it. They've got it. And in that one moment, I mean, if I couldn't have been more proud of, the students, and I'm not saying my students, because it wasn't just my students. Oh, was there all students, the students from, from... Uh, yeah, students yeah. from Malé, students from Kadada, students from Iquipi, students from Calgary, the students from all around that helped to join that were now not the advanced students. Right. The next tier of what we're handing off Kapoeira to. And they can hold a hada, hold a hada. I mean, it was off the bat, it sounded hype. And that moment to hear that next generation of Kapoeiras. Couldn't be any more proud. Yeah, that was that was uh, an awesome moment. And when you were explaining it, I just I mean, I, a lot of us were just like shaking our heads and laughing, like, "Oh, going to get my coffee. See ya. Yep. <laughs> See ya. God, we're not allowed to play here. Bye." I got told. I, I got told. Get out. <laughs> Telling people that you're level and down and all you know, all of us. Like, sorry, advance. We, I know there's a hawa that we're hungry. We gotta go. We got, we gotta go. We got, we have to, we have to give them the stage they need to hold it on their own, right? And we'll, we'll see if the kids rip up the house. And they didn't, right? They shined it down. We came back. It was still going. Yeah. Once we came back, remember we were all able to come back. We played in their hawa, right? They're still holding on the battery, and I'll never out sitting there playing and in the hawa, and I could feel their ashe, and they're holding it down. And they're passing off the bateria, they're passing off the songs mm-hmm. to their peers that are the same level from other groups and other teams. You know, there's just something they they got it. They got what we're trying to teach them, right? And yeah. that was not wasn't was not my accomplishment. That was the accomplishment of all the teams, all the systems, all the groups that were part of that hada. And we all realized we've done we're we're doing the right thing. We're on the right path. For sure, for sure. That was. Um... Yeah, it was a good moment, and it was a good it was a good teachable as well to remind them. Like I know Kamenau, uh, say Kamenau would would talk about this a lot too. Like in our early days, you know, we didn't have a Kontomese or uh, a Messe in our academy for a while, and when it came to uh, running, you know, Hodas at the end of class, you know, I was what Amarelo, Amarelo Laranja. You know, um, Falcon, um, Esperta. I mean, at that time, they weren't too far ahead of me, right? You know, there were a couple of years on, but there was really, there weren't a lot of us, you know, um, you know we had to do it ourselves, right? Yep. And you had no choice. If we wanted to do it, if we wanted to have a hold, if we wanted to play the game, you know, we had to do it ourselves. You had no choice, right? You had yep. to learn. And the right. best part with that is that you've got Messi Lua. Messi Bola, they never made us feel like we were subpar, right? They made us feel like, oh, oh yeah, right. you're doing a good job. And they'd play in the hardest that yeah. we're leading. If we were to go back to that point, 
and listen to ourselves, we'd probably say, what the hell? We <laughs> really weren't that good. But these people, you know, all their, the messages that we are now, that are now leading, they're still leading us. They empowered us back then. For sure. And they made us realize we don't have to be, you know, bovos. We just have to be us. We have to try, make an effort. Yep. And that's going to be enough, right? Which is, I think, you know, with the more leaders that we have around the world and with all the different academies, that can sometimes be lost on now the upcoming ranks, right? At what at what koda do they get that opportunity to feel that amount of empowerment? Right. And it and, and it and really it dilutes. It gets it gets less and less and less and less the more that each group grows. And yeah, it's, it's especially in one location, right? Especially in one location, mm-hmm. if you have a lot of a lot of advanced students, those opportunities become uh, fewer. You know, the accessibility of those opportunities become fewer because uh, typically, you know, it'll be the advanced students who will be starting the hoda. It'll be the messe, the compa messe, and anybody, you know, in the title blinds, you know, they'll, they'll be picking up the instruments first to start a hoda. You know, what you did was, uh, was that moment was awesome because you're like, you know, this is on you guys, right? Take it, <laughs> make it, show yep. us, show us what you got. Yep. And... We all know that first uh, the first <laughs> crack of the bin and bow and trying to sing that first song yeah. <laughs> is, is the hardest thing. I think you've had you've been times you've come to my academy. I'm like, here, pay, enjoy. Oh, Here's man. Bunga, right? it's, it's not <laughs> easy, right? It puts you on the spot. Oh, for sure. I, yeah, and I mean, I had it myself, right? Messi did the same thing to myself. I remember uh, I go back again to me being a monitor again in Brazil, first time I'm down there. At the time, I became I got injured, so I tore my hamstring, so I couldn't even play. And... Uh, at the time, I'm thinking Messity, uh, you know, Messity says, okay, you know what, Ceci, uh, just go down, take everyone down, um, down to the city and, and just have a hod with them. I, I just, just go down and have a hod with them. And all, all I'm thinking is, what the hell, Messity? Like, eh, <laughs> why, why are you being so lazy? I don't want to do a hod. What are you talking about? It's me. I, I... So at the time, I'm like, oh, I'm not girling down. I'm like, oh, whatever. I'll take them down. I'm thinking Messity's just being lazy. I can't believe this. And. So I go down, I start this hada, and uh, next thing you know, there's other Brazilians that I didn't know that were gonna show up that show up, and so I some, I'm scared crapless, so I start, oops. Whoopa. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Uh-oh, did I lose you? No, no, we're good, we're good. Keep going. Oh, you see me? Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, I'll I can't it. see you, but as long as you can see me. That's all right. Um, so we start the hada, and hada's cool. I can't play. But other caprices from all around are. Uh oh. I think I've lost you. Okay. All right, you're back. 
<laughs> and I'm back. Sorry, I didn't realize that. That's okay. Bad. That's what post production is for to take so. care of those little issues. Exactly. <laughs> we'll get it taken care of. See, I'm so, not, you know what? I'm not used to strings. I usually use uh, cordless. Yeah, yeah. Put this off you microphone. got all excited and bah! Uh, exactly. <laughs> it's right, all right, good. Right. It's all good. So you're on. You're 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 running this holiday. Brazilians are coming, and everything's starting to kind of come together. Where where was the story going? Oh yes, sorry about that. Yes, yeah, so sorry. Right. Back. So, yeah, um, yeah. So here I am leading this hava, and other Brazilians are coming around, and I'm I am scared. I am nervous. I've never been so nervous in my life. Period. Uh, I start this hava, and I'm thinking, you know, there's messages in here to save me. There aren't any Brazilian peers I have to save me. I've got to do this right. So I have this hava, and it goes amazingly. Um, we have a great hava, and. You know, even the, the couples that came there, um, they all want to play. They can tell that I'm injured, but they're sitting there. They're playing in the bateria. We're having a great time. And it took me a year to realize that that was the best lesson Messi has ever taught me. In that one moment, he empowered me more than I've ever been empowered in my life. He showed me. He was showing me. That you're not just you're not a Canadian capoeirista in Brazil, you're a capoeirista in Brazil, and I trust you, I trust you with this art, I trust you with this team, you've got this. Nice. Now, nice. would I want to hear that haw? How I sounded in that haw the ten years ago? <laughs> no, I'm sure right now I'd be very critical of what I sounded like. But he trusted me in a way that I that I realize I have to do the same. I have to pass that on. I've got to pass that lesson before, and I think that's very, very important. Yeah. How sure. do we find a way to empower our students so that they feel that we trust them, holding on to this art that we hold so dear? And a little and and some of that comes to um on on when you talk about passing those lessons on, like I think um rather empowering those students it's about being put just like one step outside of your comfort zone or maybe two that that would have been a big pretty uncomfortable situation i can imagine <laughs> but but and and letting people get comfortable with being uncomfortable until they get comfortable again yes right so yes. and and experiencing that moment of like nerves racked you know and you're like ah this isn't my normal thing right and usually i can kind of just hide in the shadows or hide in the shadow of the senior students a little bit and and jump in but um but yeah we 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 need to do that on a regular basis um like you said it's it's empowering it'll even it, it, it allows for that growth on that individual and if they fail that's fine Right. Yep. You know, give them, let them a chance to kind of recoup and figure it out. Take some time to kind of, you know, run it through their head and understand the situation and support them and say, look, it's all right that you failed. You know, just try again. Yeah. I mean, it's ironic, thing, ironically, right? it's the analogy of a hother, right? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. At the end of the day, there are, we don't see hothers with three, four, five, six, seven people. We see hother with two. And everyone's going to have that time to go into a hother. It doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't mean you're going into every hother. But if you're a capoeirista, you will be in a hada. So at some point, you're going to be empowered with whatever game you bring into that hada. Whether you're three days in, three decades in, it doesn't matter. At that moment, you're the one 
who is the driving one of the driving forces of the Hobbit. You can't sit on the sidelines, right? Yeah. Which yeah. I think is really important. And those and those moments never they those moments never go away of stepping out of that comfort zone. Like you know you, um, you know, for someone who's a beginner, stepping into the hold for the first time is super nerve wracking, especially someone who's not comfortable being in front of other people. Right, and they have to play. You know, in you know, they're surrounded by a circle of 20, 30, 40 other people, and they're in there in the middle with somebody else. Guess what? Yep. You know, you're going in. Sometimes you get pushed in. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like get in there. You you that. you need to go. Stop standing on the sidelines. Get in. Right. You know. Um. Yep. You know, and but that moment never changes. Even though, as we grow in Capital and get used to stepping into the Hoda, there that same moment will happen when you're in the bateria. The first time you yeah. sit in the bateria with one of the instruments, whether you lead a song or not, it's completely different. There's that moment, right? And then there's the moment where you lead a song. And then there's moments where, you know, um, say you're awarded, you know, uh, a higher chord. And it puts you into a hoda with people who have that higher chord and who have had it for a number of years, right? And the responsibility. It all, it's always, you're constantly being put slightly out of your comfort zone one way or another right and yep. then just the more we do it the um uh, the more we get comfortable with that which is strange you know surreal. yeah no it's true that's that's actually <laughs> right i know right it's, but it's, it is actually the the thing why i think some people quit right because mm. that pressure never stops right i think we've, we've all heard it yeah where a student has said you know what i don't i don't want to get my next call back mm. And my next question is always, do you believe the pressure is going to stop building because you haven't got your next call of Because it doesn't. It doesn't change. It doesn't matter what it is. You, Our jobs as teachers are to constantly keep that ground a little slippery. Yeah. We'll, make, we'll show you how to stand on that ground. And then once you've got that, we make it slippery again. And you have to, right? Now, years later, Messy still makes the ground under me slippery. Mm. I have to make the ground slippery under my students. My students make the ground slippery under their teammates. It's it's gotta oh, we've gotta constantly be trying to if I'm playing you in a hava, I know you're making the ground slippery under me because you're gonna challenge me. Like that's how it should mm. be. The art isn't about feeling comfortable sitting in a chair and going, now I'm a capoeirista. It's the opposite. It never ends. It's a chair on it never ends. It never ends. It, never it really ends. never ends. Yeah. And, and and I get how that sometimes can sometimes be frustrating. And I so I, I've always understood why people walk away from the art because they say, yeah, I'm not really in the mood anymore to be challenged to that degree. Not a problem at all. Mm-hmm. But when you stay, decide to keep, you know, keeping the analogy, those two feet in the harder, understand a kick's coming. Understand that a skipper needs to happen. Understand that that ground's going to be slippery under you for your entire career yeah, in yeah. the art. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Cool. Listen, I don't want to hold up you much more of your time, but I'm going to give you, uh, let's take this opportunity for a shameless plug about your academy, what you guys are up to these days during COVID. And um, yeah, so take it away. Cool. Um, again, my name is Professor, Professor Sassi, Capoeira Camara here in Toronto. Um, we, if you look, want to look for our website, www.capoeira.to. Um, it'll have all the information in terms of our classes. We're located right now at 35 Golden Avenue. Um, currently, in this pandemic, we are doing online classes. Um, and through those online classes, uh, again, you have to, it is a paid online class, not free. Um, but we have our online classes Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays are for all levels at this point. 
Um, at some point, we may, based on terms of how the pandemic is working, we may start to segregate one of the classes or a different class for strict beginners who are brand new to the art. Um, I'm a little, I've been a little hesitant with that. I purposely haven't been bringing in new students in the last uh, in the last uh, probably years because I think that uh, the art to understand it to begin with, you need to be walking into the class. You need to breathe the same air. So until we can safely breathe the same air, we've kind of had that on hold. Um, but uh, but for now, we've been doing uh, the online classes. So if anyone has any questions uh, for myself, uh, text, email, um, online, I'm on Facebook, uh, Instagram, uh, Twitter, um, feel free to send me a message. Um, and it, whether it be about my class, whether it be about classes in general, whether it be about Kapwe in general, I really like to meet and connect with new people. Um, I think that's really, truly, from my perspective, Kapwe isn't about the kicks, isn't about the music, isn't about everything. It's about the connection. It's always been just a portal for connection. So this online world that we're in now has just added one more ability to connect. So feel free to connect to me on with me online, and I'll do my best to try to share um, whatever I know about the art and hopefully learn from you as well. Awesome. Awesome. Então, valeu, professor, por seu tempo. You know how to know. Very, uh, very awesome that you could be a part of this, and uh, hopefully this helps us all out. Cool. It will, man. Again, thank you again for uh, for for running this, man. It's a uh, we need more people like you. Again, it's a very philanthropic act that you're actually doing, um, getting the word out. And the more that we can do this, the better, right? It's not it's not for everybody, but for whom it's for, we really want to make sure they understand uh, what's out there uh, for them. So again, thank you again on behalf of myself and everyone in Capoeira. Yeah.